Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of It's All Relativity, where we bring you all the kind of news across the interwebs, whether that's technology, cryptocurrency, electric vehicles, which is technology as well. But we have a full packed episode of some really cool news and stuff that's going on in the world today. And I think that you're going to want to really sit back and listen to this. And uh, I can't wait to share that with everybody. So dig in, grab a cup of coffee, maybe a Capri Sun, whatever you're into. And uh, let's get ready for some information download. All right, so the first topic I do want to cover today is something that's pretty interesting and affects everybody in the world. So what, what could that be? What's going on? And I think if we sit for a second and think about that, it's COVID. And so why this is interesting is that released today in an uh, article by Forbes, the Pfizer CEO has announced that they're looking into and really developing an antiviral pill to treat COVID which theoretically would be available by the end of the year. And I think that in of itself is such an important topic, not only because of, well, COVID itself, but of how we are combating COVID-19, not only as a virus, but maybe what we could do for treatments today and in the future and how we go about that, not only in terms of manufacturing, but as well as distributing it. So this is a pill that can be ingested orally, um, thankfully, it's not <laughs> going anywhere else. It is being ingested orally to, of course, combat the COVID-19 illness. And so this is something where um, I think is is really going to have the benefit in terms of its distribution and manufacture. Um, amongst every, everything else, we can, we're going to touch on a little bit of how this, the, the effectiveness is, and which I think is really still being tested. But when we talk about this idea for a pill, it is such a huge step, in the, I think, in the right direction because, you know, there are many circumstances where, you know, there are people um, who are affected by COVID-19, you know, whether it's a family member, whether that's themselves, who may find it difficult to get a to a healthcare facility whether that's um, scheduling an appointment or maybe they're actually terrified of needles, you know, whatever, whatever that may be, um, it can be difficult at times to get that COVID-19 vaccine. So allowing for a pill to be distributed and provided to a, uh, a patient is so, so much more e uh, easier, right? You're able to work with your healthcare provider, either hospital or doctor, and have them ingest this orally instead of being injected, you know, directly in, into your arm, right? We think about that, you know, today and, and compared to swallowing a pill, it almost sounds, you know, barbaric in, 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 in a certain way. But I really think that's going to be the major advantage when it comes to this. And that was something that was, um, you know, announced and provided as well. Um, the CEO agrees, and I agree with him as well, that this is um, going to be such a huge benefit. You're avoiding a trip to the hospital. You're avoiding that trip to your healthcare, uh, well, you know, you know, provider as well to get this treatment. And it will be something where, um, you know, that can be just easily taken and, 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 and adjusted. And an additional note for that, it, it is also going to be, um, uh, able to be taken as an oral antiviral therapeutic for SARS, uh, COV-2, at home, which is, again, so, you know, such, such a huge game changer as well. And I think the other key benefit here is, like, how 
you know, how do we go ahead and really develop this not only for COVID-19, but is this the future of how we are getting, you know, vaccines as well? Is it just for this, you know, particular, you know, circumstance and, and case? And as horrible as COVID-19 is, and as, as much as it has put a handicap on to uh, you know, the workforce, um, you know, um, you know, the global economy, infrastructure, and, and, and so on, right, right, everyone's lives. This also pushes the boundaries of uh, medicine and technology and how we are going out and actually treating it. So uh, this is definitely, to me and, and, and to my eyes, a step in the right direction. Now, of course, this is still something that uh, needs to be tested. Um, this, you know, there has been two testings thus far, which, you know, one of them is uh, two antivirals. One is, is being in, in, injected inter intravenously and the other, as, you know, as, as we know, and the other is being administered orally. And so the orally method is the one that I think that would, is, is, would be that game changer. Now, as of today, you know, from a Pfizer perspective, there has been 3 billion doses on the animalized, you know, baseless, uh, basis. You know, really, thus far, two billion, two point five billion doses of their vaccine this year, uh, which I think is is great in of itself. So, um, more to come of really how we are, you know, combating that on a global scale, producing it, manufacturing, which I would imagine would be heck of a lot easier. Moving over to more of what's going on with technology and our one of our favorite companies out there, SpaceX. So next to Tesla, of course, right? We have Apple, we have Tesla, we have Google, you know, you know all these all these giants in this space. And so what's going on in terms of SpaceX, SpaceX is that they have one in approval for additional lower uh, Starlink satellites to orbit. And, you know, previously this has been, you know, rather something that's been brought up in controversy. One of the reasons being is that there can be or there really is so much debris and pollution, if you will, you know, um, you know, flying around Earth, right, right, in, in, in space as it is, whether that's, you know, just rocks or debris uh, from, you know, uh, previous spacecrafts or even really, you know, garbage. And I say garbage just in terms of just those, uh, you know, you know, like say, you know, metal or components or anything that's just floating around up there. Um, so that was a concern is like, are these Starlink satellites going to add to that debris? You know, are we going to create more of a, a mess up there? So that was one of the overall concerns. And the other concern as well was, you know, is this something that's going to cause, um, you know, interference when it comes to, um, um, looking, you know, doing, you know, observations about other planets, you know, you know, scientific research, um, you know, just in general of the pollution of light, if you will, or these constellations that we see, you know, of how that's going to kind of um, uh, modify that. These were all really, you know, concerns as well. But the, the Federal Communications Commission on, on today, on Tuesday, has granted SpaceX to approve and operate another 2,814 Starlink satellites in that lower orbit. So, Elon is definitely a happy boy for his satellite internet you know, project. And this is increasingly, you know, giving him the advantage uh, amongst other competitors right now, such as big giants out there like Amazon, OneWeb, you know, just, just as a, a couple of, of, of examples. And it's no doubt it, it, that they were going to try to jump into that space. It's also going to force them to ramp up their 
um, their manufacturing and you know uh, research and development of, of that as well. Um, so previously, Amazon Web, Web One Web did have some issues when it comes to uh, creating harmful frequencies that and, and 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 interference. So that's something that they're actually having to tweak and and to work on. But the FCC said, from a Starlink satellite perspective, it doesn't really create any significant interface um, interference problems, especially in that the low-lying orbit, which is, that's what it's designed to do, right? Um, Starlink in of itself, you know, as, as if we, if for those who don't know, right, is really this, you know, idea to surround the Earth with these uh, lower orbiting satellites to provide internet access, whether that's for um, countries or regions that don't have, um, you know, stable connections or don't have um, you know high speeds as many, as some of us have the advantage of using uh, this allows for those stable connections and for uh, continuous um, internet access as everything becomes much more online and communication becomes uh, much more um, imperative especially in the world that we're living in with covid this is such a huge um, um, step in the right direction and advantage for that I'm still a little, you know, cautious myself of how this is going to create some dominance in that um, internet space. Um, I think the concept of itself is cool. I mean, just as a geek, I think this is, it, 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 it's a great, um, you know, technology and advancement. But how is that going to ultimately, you know, contribute to, um, you know, uh, SpaceX's dominance? Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that is something that has been approved and, and planned. Um, and what this means is, uh, from the SEC's approval is that uh, SpaceX can now really lower the altitude of its next 2,814 satellites from its previously planned 1,150 kilometers to now closer, uh, which is really less than half of 550 um, kilometers as well in the same orbital, you know, neighborhood, if you will, of what Amazon's proposed constellation will be. So we already see SpaceX starting to dominate that space against Amazon, which it's pretty hard to, to, to fight against them as well. So why, you know, on a side note, why they did not call Starlink Skynet is beyond me. So if you're a Terminator fan, you'll definitely get where I'm coming from. But maybe that would cause a little bit of tension or <laughs> fearfulness um, if anybody recalls what Skynet really is and what it did. Uh, so I guess really more to come on that. Um, I think, again, the technology is great. Um, the idea, too, is that these satellites will have... Um, will really not contribute to the, de the debris. Um, they have autonomous um, collision avoidance systems, so you're not going to have these satellites knock into each other, which is great. And additionally, after these satellites are finished in terms of their life cycle or in need of update or repair, how can you get to them? Uh, well, you really can't uh, for the most part unless you have like a wide literal net to clean them up. So they're designed to blast themselves into into earth into the atmosphere and uh, really get burned up on re-entry and so that would be um, a really a way of, of replacing it with a newer model or update as it comes and that way it doesn't contribute to the space debris um, as, as as well so uh, more really more to come on that but i think it's pretty exciting to see where we're going in um in in, in that direction speaking still on the, the technology topic 
Uh, well, one of the things that did pop up I saw was this Wingcopter. It's called Wingcopter 198, and it's the world's first triple drop delivery drone. And so, what what does that what does that what does that mean? How does that contribute to you know things that are going on in the world you know today? And why do we really need one? And so, it, it's a couple of things I think of, of, of itself. Um, we already have previously seen, you know, organizations and, you know, again, Amazon being uh, the forefront of this, of delivering packages autonomously via a drone. And so when that really occurs and, and it's, you know, been tested in, in select areas, but if that was, you know, to be, you know, massively developed and distributed and actually put into use, one of the issues is, is, um, you know, how... Um, how many you know drones are going to really be sent out? Um, you know how you know frequent are these packages going to be you know delivered? Um, and you also run into the process of you know these drones um, previously are only designed to you know take one package, you know fly to a location, drop off the package, and you know fly back. So this is a Wingcopter is a German startup company, and really unveiled this autonomous delivery drone. And why this is cool is that this drone can actually deliver three packages to multiple locations during a single flight. So no longer does it have to take time to go back and recharge, but it can do more distribution of packages um, throughout um, its area. And I would imagine that you know, when this drone is sent out, it would find or it would uh, survey or you know be distributed to an area that has multiple orders, whatever that may be. You know, I, I, this isn't this is still a startup company, so uh, whether they're actually um, going to partner with, let's say, Amazon to create their own business or you know what have you, um, is still left to be determined. I don't think they're going to create their own business in this case, but. Uh, this Wingcopter company is, uh, you know, started out in 2017 and does um, incorporate a lot of the design and the development it's, it, that it's been really doing over the last uh, four years. So this is an you know, all-electric, um, you know, vertical takeoff and landing aircraft and has a 198-centimeter wingspan. And the actual weight that it can carry is, is pretty significant. It can actually carry... Um, payloads up to 13 pounds on trips 47 miles, which is pretty cool on a single battery charge. And if you have a smaller payload, I, I would imagine, you know, of course, less than 13 pounds, so perhaps around, um, you know, five pounds or so, whatever that may add up uh, into, can actually be uh, sent, you know, 68 miles again on a single charge. And so I think this is going to. Again, even even if we don't see package delivery by drones become a thing, I still think that the the technology that this is being poured into um, is is pretty is 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 pretty is pretty cool, and so this is you know still something that's you know uh, being you know, designed and developed according to you know aviation safety and and whatnot. We got to make sure that you know we follow the rules and you know as 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 you sh should. You know we don't want this thing you know shot down. But uh, this is a, still a, a still a new startup company. It's um, has 120 employees. Um, it just picked up another 22 million in funding earlier this year, and is actually accepting refundable deposits for about a thousand euros, which would be 1,200 um, U.S. American dollars. Um, you know, for companies interested in having early access to its triple 
uh, drop delivery drones. So we could see other, you know, large companies out there. So maybe Amazon, Walmart, um, you know, let's say, you know, Target as an example to really utilize this, this drone. And I think, again, you know, as, as the way COVID is and we find ourselves being at home and utilizing our computers much more, you know, spending time with our, um, you know, our significant other, our family, our friends and whatnot, we may find ourselves less obligated to run out to the store. We may just, you know, get lazy. Everything's um, really at the touch of a button. And so this could be part of it, you know, later down the road. Um, it, it's going to make um, you know, drunk purchasing a lot, <laughs> a lot more interesting when the when the time comes. Uh, I, I can already imagine you know someone you know getting absolutely um, hammered and buying you know like uh, you know random things off of Amazon like you know cat food uh, you know a, a stack of pencils <laughs> and some um, and some Yoda socks. Um, which honestly, the Yoda socks, I think is a win either way. So there's really no set delivery time of when we're going to see this drone be released just yet, but the technology is there and it is the world's first triple drop delivery drone. Um, so more to really come on that as, as well as we uh, find out what's going on. So follow Wingcopter if you're into that. Uh, let's see. The other thing I, I think that's really, um, Really interesting is what's going on with Facebook and Facebook and Apple, right? So, you know, we have this iOS 14.5 update that's 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 rolling out um, that really is available now as as we speak. And there's a slew of other features out there, you know, not not just you know uh, this this is the biggest update for the most part since of course version 14. But I think the biggest feature that's coming is privacy. And Apple's always been, you know, the forefront of privacy, or really so they say, you know, they always have, you know, privacy first and foremost. But where this is really coming in is how apps are tracking you. And that transparency, it's not just talking about how apps are, you know, you may be gathering, you know, certain data, whether that's, um, you know, maybe, you know, your, your height, your, you know, your age, what, you know, email you, you, you use, obviously your name, your phone number, so on and so forth. This is talking about, you know, smaller metadata that these apps don't actually tell you about, right? There's still these underlying metadata, if you will, of how these apps are talk, you know, or, are, are tracking you. So this is the biggest advantage of the 14.5 update. So really, if we look at it, how did apps track you before, right? Before this was rolled out, what would happen is that before the 14.5 update, you know, the developers could use a, a slew of tools, a, slew, you know, a host of tools to track data, you know, from within an app. And at that point, advertisers could then utilize that data and, you know, for the, for the rest of the web, whether, whether that was tailoring certain ads to you or, you know, um, you know suggesting certain music or movies or other, you know, products, that information would then be sent and bought and sold. And that's how companies, you know, for the most part, make, you know, money. A lot of companies do this. Nothing really new in that sense. But how the app tracking transparency, as they're calling in, in, in the update, changes that is that while in of itself doesn't make the hugest update, it's really how, again, how iOS handles ad, ad tracking. 
Um, so users are going to be prompt um, or you know have the ability to opt out of uh, IDFA you know based tracking before, but the new update puts that much more front and center with the person, and they're going to receive a pop up. So if you have a particular you know app, whether that's you know Grubhub, Spotify, um, obviously Facebook, we're going to touch on that in just a second it now forces developers to give users a choice. So once that 14.5 is you know downloaded and it's installed, every company for that, you know, for that matter, every company that wants to track and use that data across these different apps now has to ask permission first um, you know, from 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 an app that is going to be a a, a prompt. And so you know, the question too is that, you know, are there going to be kind of any exceptions or alternatives to this? Um, so the first and foremost is that, you know, companies that own multiple types of, you know, tracking apps and one of the biggest one is Facebook, you know, you know, have been, you know, previously, you know, you know, can use that data to gather, you know, um, on other, other, you know, apps as well, like Instagram and, and target ads back in the main app. And so, What's going on is that in the SDK ad network, um, one of the tools that's be, that can be used in, in this ad development can now tell companies how many times an app was installed after an ad has seen, right? So there is a little bit of, you know, um, annoyance, you know, behind this. And, 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 and the reason is that it, it, com it comes from Facebook. Because what, what does that ultimately do? You know, Facebook is much surrounded by its data-driven gathering and you know, harvesting of user data and that's how they really they not only make money but that's how they create a digital profile of you and so by no circumstances i will really want to you know give into that because now that has them lose money and you know i wouldn't say partnerships i think they're still going to you know make money at the end of the day but um it's going to be that much more difficult for them to you know harvest and buy and sell this information it's still makes it harder and more expensive for these ad networks to easily target customers. That's, that's for sure. Um, but it's still, you know, going to hurt websites that rely on lucrative targeted ads to make up ends, you know, to, to make ends meet at that point. And so what happens is that you then force them to, you know, to go into these subscription services or paywalls for content that used to be free to use. So there are times, right? Ads, while they are annoying, do serve a purpose at you know for the most part i mean there are sometimes products that we do get interested on you know to, to to buy because of these ads that you know that are shown to us but at the same time this is how companies do make money through ad creation or advert or well you know, to, to provide these onto apps or sites or whatnot and they get a kickback from you know the the product that's that's sold or to have that ad even on their site to begin with um, and like I said, you know, much of the, the Facebook business model is, is surrounded by that, you know, less than 5% of Facebook's eight, eight, you know, 84 billion annual in revenue, um, you know, is, is part of, you know, um, it, 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 those ads are involved in some way or another. So it's still a noticeable chunk and change. I, I, I think that's going to you know, really occur with the company. Um, so it, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of, um, uh, you know, starts to, does it cause like a little bit of a handicap in some apps and creation? You know, ab ab absolutely. But if, we, if we're looking in terms, um, and if we're looking in terms of user 
privacy first. I think Apple is trying to at least, you know, be that, um, you know, that that company that that does that. And don't get me wrong, you know, Apple is going to, you know, still collect information about you. You know, Google is still going to collect information about you. If you're online in one form or another, somebody out there is going to collect information about you in, in some fashion. And in this case, you know, it's, it's, going to be Apple, but, you know, to a certain limited extent and other apps as well, but they're at least doing something, I, I would say. I, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of ironic because you have, you know, Google who has always, you know, tried, you know, they tried to say that they were doing this as well. But I, me personally, from an Android user, I, I use both device. I use both Android as well as iPhone. I try to really mix both ecosystems so I can understand, you know, the devices and product better. I, I haven't really seen that all that much. I think Android has been doing that to a certain extent, right? It will ask you for app permissions and so on, but it won't ask you in terms of what at least Apple is doing from ad tracking. So how that kind of, you know, turns into is, you know, um, you know, going to be, a, a, a I think, a change of how users interact, download apps, and could really actually even have an impact to the App Store and how apps are uh, researched, developed, um, and really sold in a sense. We may even see an increase in not only those subs- subscriptions, but how much the Apple costs. Something that was free might, in general, cost money now because there is not that ad support or not that backing from from users. So I think anytime there's transparency is is always a good choice, and it just puts Apple in a better commission uh, or uh, a better standpoint, I should say, uh, a position. Uh, what I was going for. So if anyone's going to do it, it, it's going to be you know the company that has you know an iPhone in almost everyone's you know hand. Um, so uh, I guess we'll see you know how that gets reacted by these other organizations. Uh, the last couple of topics I wanted to cover real quick um, is going to be, you know, again with um, some just not, some Apple products. You know, not to, you know, we not to. Uh, that's a whole other kind of podcast. But I think one of the coolest gadgets, you know, from Apple because we're already on the Apple subject is the Apple AirTags. And I think it's a really cool addition to their ecosystem. It, 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 it's something that people have been really anticipating, especially if you are an Apple fan. And so these AirTags, um, to put it quite, uh, you know, you know, in a similar context, they're just like tile trackers, the, 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 the tile devices where you use your phone, use a device in order to find your lost stuff, whether that's keys, a backpack, you know, your dog. Um, you know, whatever that's going to be, you know, uh, Apple has uh, finally released their own variant of this. And so it's just as it sounds, it uses, you know, the, the find my, uh, network, um, you know, of, um, both of iPhones, iPads, and, uh, Macs that can all access this and, you know, find your, your missing, you know, you know, device. And it, it, it's very, you know, small and of its size. Um, really aesthetically, I think it looks, well, it looks like an Apple product at the end of the day. You know, it's, it's sleek, it's modern, it has a, uh, you know, this coin size look to it and a sleek, uh, metal underbody where you can at least pop off and pop out the, uh, the battery, which is, which is great. I think is, is always a nice feature where it's still somewhat modular. You can take at least that battery and replace it as needed. Even on the early days, Tile did not allow you to do that. You had to basically 
buy a new tile or when they introduce their program, the tile premium, you can send it back either at a discount or uh, they would send you back a new one. I think that was released in their, their premium model. But it's it's both, a in this case of Apple AirTags, they're both a mixture of a, that aluminum disc on the backside and, and some plastic as well. But uh, the, the the price of it, I think, is within reason. It's $29.99 for a single one and $99 for a four-pack. So the four-pack is a better deal if you are constantly losing your stuff. Uh, this that, that would probably be the, the way to, to go as well. But um, weight-wise, it's about 11 grams, so super, super light. And the only thing I see, a, a couple of things, again, from an aesthetic perspective, is that it's kind of thick. It's eight millimeters thick. It's you know much more than it is in comparison to a tile. I mean, if you put a tile, if you stack two tiles on top of each other, it's kind of hitting the same height or well, you know, size of one of the air tags. So a little bit of a turnoff, right? You can't put that into your wallet and, and whatnot. But again, later down the road, Apple may do the same thing where Tile did and release a thinner version of it. So we'll we'll see how that kind of works later down the road. Uh, the 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 setup for and, and the pairing is super simple. If you ever own AirPods, um, which again, if you're an iPhone fan or Apple fan, I'm sure you got like second gens floating around somewhere. Um, the pairing is super simple, and the same as it is for maybe the AirPods or you know uh, or an uh, an Apple Watch is that you just take the tile or well the the air tag and put it next to your iphone and then once you do it'll have that pop-up where you'll see you know uh that your air tag is is in close range and then you can set it up that way it is important how you do name it i believe um that way so that you have um the ability to uh really focus on tracking you know what your what your stuff is I think you should be able to change it later. I haven't had a chance to get an AirTag and really dive into the interface as much as I would like. Um, I'm thinking about pre-ordering one, but I can cover that a little bit more, you know, once I hopefully have the ability to get one. Um, but I think what's really differentiating it between Tile and AirTags is that the precision finding and just the overall general tracking. So the precision finding, again, is much like Tile, where if you're really past, let's say, you know, from what I've seen about 30 feet from whatever it is that you're trying to find, it'll give you a sense of the general direction that you need to go in by a um, uh, several rings. You know, and as, as you get closer to your object, those rings close, and then you have this precision tracking with an arrow, and the arrow will point you in the direction of where your air tag is. And as you get closer and closer to your your missing you know object, again whatever that may be, um, the phone will actually vibrate that you have found it. So that I, I think is, is is a nice touch. I, I think there's plenty of times where I've used uh, the tile and I. Like I knew maybe in or around where it was, but for the life of me, I couldn't find where the object really was until I I, I got closer, and, and or if I use the the sound option, and that's something that the AirTag has as well. Same as Tile, that you, it can play a sound, so it can help you try to find you know wherever it is. So outside of that, I think where it's useful too is that again if you have lost items. So with Tile. 
it's kind of an issue is that everybody, you know, you have to alert other tile users. You have to have tile users in order to find your missing, you know, item, right? So if you lose it and let's say you left something at a park or a coffee shop and you don't exactly know where it is and you want to use that, you know, missing item option or, you know, where to, you know, to, to have the community all pitch in, you can do that with tile. But again, they have to be part of the tile you know, community. And not everybody is. That, that's, that's the thing. Not everybody is part of that tile, um, you know, ecosystem. The difference is with AirTags is that whether, as long as you have an Apple product that has that find my, you know, feature, uh, everybody's entitled to helping you find your device, you know, or whatever it is that you lost. So if you have an iPhone, if you have an iPad, if you have a Mac, anybody, regardless if they even have an AirTag, can actually pitch in, so to speak, to uh, find the, your, you know, lost item. And so one of the things I think is also beneficial that is what Apple thought, I thought this was, was, was pretty cool is that, you know, sometimes it can be used maliciously. So if you try to slip this into someone's bag or to try to track them with it, it'll actually ping and let you know. So if I'm driving and someone put it in, uh, you know, my backpack, I will get an alert on my phone that uh, there's a there's an air tag in my car and it's following me and you know it's just something that I know or authorize so it'll it'll let me know if it's being used maliciously which I think is 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 I don't use the word genius I think it's just a really smart feature at least in terms of of tracking you know we're, we live in a world where there's so much technology you know uh you know you know there, everybody has a phone obviously these days so you you feel like you're kind of you know being watched and you you, you wouldn't want something that's supposed to be used in a ethical manner to be used unethically one of the things I do see is you know in, in terms of this is how this can be used um, at, at, at least uh, more practically. So when you get the you get AirTag, there's no way for you to connect it to your keys. You immediately have to buy a you know an accessory, whether that's like something from Apple directly or Belkin or Dbrand. You have to buy like a little keychain or pouch or whatever that is connected to your bag or to your keys. So. Apple, I don't know if they purposely didn't do this because they wanted to keep it more clean or sleek. Uh, they chose to already immediately force you into buying another product, which sounds pretty, pretty much like Apple when it comes to that upsells. And the other thing I would say is that, and then maybe the Apple will release this when they have more of a premium feature, is you don't, you don't have the ability to get an alert when you lose your, your, your stuff or when you leave something behind. So for example, right, if you put it into your backpack and you forget that you left your backpack and you walk away, you don't get an alert on your phone or your, 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 your watch saying that oh, you left that your backpack or wallet behind, which I could think that would save you half of the headache and would be a huge benefit if the AirTag was able to do that. And I think that can definitely come in an update. Uh, Tile did it and I'm sure Apple's going to do it as well. Whether that's going to come into a free update or a premium update in the sense of a subscription, they might do that and follow the tile business model. That is still to be determined. So I definitely want to pick one up. I probably will. I don't want to spend the money on $29.99, but I I think it'll be pretty cool. Where they again, where they get you is that you had to buy an additional accessory. There is a surprise. Um, so hopefully that there's something cheaper that coming out in terms of uh, like a keychain or 
Um, I've seen something where Belkin is having like a um, an eye gl- uh, a, a glasses um, loop to put around your neck, and so that way, I guess uh, you can put your air tag in it. I, I think that's just a silly idea, but um, I mean, hey, people lose their glasses, so I mean, why uh, why not? Um, and I think the last topic I you know, want to touch on is getting into kind of a little bit of Bitcoin. And we don't have to spend too much time on this, but I think it's just interesting to cover that Bitcoin is making a recovery, right? So last Sunday we saw it dip to about, you know, $47,000 and it has bunched, bounced off that supportive line and now is uh, increasing. And I think we're at about $55,000. Um, you know, at, at, at this moment in time. And so, you know, you know, Bitcoin being that, um, that really market indicator of cryptocurrency, but as well as altcoins is, is pretty significant. Um, especially, you know, again, you know, is this, what is this, a, a Tesla podcast? Because a lot of this does go a little bit back to Tesla in the sense that they did, um, sell off about 10% of their holdings. Uh, essentially to prove liquidity of, of, of Bitcoin. And this is, was, uh, significant because this was an alternative for Tesla, uh, you know, where it can, you know, have readily available money and cash of it, you know, accessible as well as where they can store it. So that really, uh, you know, added to not only the liquidity, uh, the liquidity of it, but the, the, the circulation of, of Bitcoin, you know, not, not, you know, huge by, you know, you know, by any, you know, by any means as well. But, um, I believe that, um, they had made approximately about $101 million off of, uh, of Bitcoin, which, regardless of the size and the, the, the capital that Tesla has and really, you know, um, not so much SpaceX, but really, you know, Tesla in, in, in this example is, you know, pretty, pretty, still pretty significant. That can be added back into their research and development, um, uh, to its infrastructure, to, um, you know, building, you know, gigafactories and, and whatnot. So pretty, pretty, uh, you, you, you know, interesting to see really what happens in that sense. But, you know, in, in, in the event that uh, BTC, you know, in, you know, Bitcoin uh, returned to that $55,000 level, that those, it's really making gains about 10% since the start of the weekend, which is really great to hear. Uh, I think that's really what we want to be able to achieve. And as this continues to go up, uh, we have uh, people like the, uh, you know, uh, you know, fund managers like Dan Tapiro that had talked about it reaching even higher than that. Um, you know, again, hypothetically pushing that $100,000 uh, for, for each Bitcoin, you know, by the end of the year. So I don't think, you know, you know, Bitcoin is going anywhere. Um, even, even though that Bitcoin had hit about 50% of the, of its, um, size really within the crypto market on uh, Sunday, and almost dip below that, it still has a significant holding, and we see it rising again. These corrections are relatively normal. Um, you know, we've seen as as low as a thirty percent, you know, uh, you know, correction as well. So we actually were able to stay above that and doing doing pretty good. So we're gonna have to really see what's going on from a a, a technical uh, per- perspective of how well Bitcoin, you know, continues to do. We're still very much in a bull market. And uh, really, even traditionally, when these bull markets occur, 
um, around that this April time. They don't really die off until you know around October, September. So we have we have plenty of time. It's not too late to get involved in you know cryptocurrency. Look at altcoins, and um, you know start really in, in investing. Now it's not you know not coming across as a financial advisor or you know giving that investment um, advice, but it's just to say that if you do your own research and you find a credible coin, not these scam coins out there, but you find a credible coin that you believe in and that can be backed, that can make a change. Uh, within the crypto space, uh, you know, it, it's definitely worth uh, taking a look at understanding the fundamentals uh, behind it and in, in investing in. So from the Bitcoin perspective, again, uh, you know, changes in, in, in circumstance of, you know, of, of uh, these crypto miners, um, you know, is also likely to, to trigger the, the price dip. Um, so thankfully, you know, uh, we are seeing that re recovery. And really, lastly, um, I think the, the the one of the cool things that came out recently, or you know, at least has been you know talked about, is a Porsche, Porsche, Porsche. Um, you know, is decided that it wants to make an all electric wagon. And if anyone has seen the the twenty twenty one you know Porsche Taycan Cross Turismo wagon, I. I mean, aesthetically, I, I, I like Porsches. I, 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 I do. Porsches. I mean, you know, if anyone's going to correct me, right? If we want to say it right, Porsche. Um, they, I, I've always, I've grown to like them, honestly. I, I don't think I was really a, a fan as it was. I just didn't like the, the body design. I like the technology. I, I, I like the engineering that has always been put into, um, the, the vehicles. But this one, I just, I, I just can't, really get around so i i, I this I'm, I'm really hoping that it's, it's a concept design so if anyone's interested just take a look at it um in, in this concept uh, design or at least from what i'm seeing um that was developed you know, or you know produced uh, you know from from TechCrunch, or i should say you know that it was provided this information was provided by TechCrunch. it looks kind of ugly you know it has some it, it, it's really interesting because when you think about Porsche, you know, you have this kind of sleek, um, smooth finished, uh, you know, very well defined and redefined, um, you know, pieces of, of, you know, metal. And it really shows the, uh, level of, uh, time and, uh, engineering that went into it. And you have these, these plastic, you know, um, bezels, I want to call them that sit really around the wheel well. Um, uh, there's this awkward, um, you know, black and red trim that is kind of being presented. Um, these wheels that are uh, being shown, at least on this particular model, again, whether that's a concept or not is a different story, which I believe that it is, considering that they're, you know, you know, working on this, is again, I, it just does not fit the aesthetics of a Porsche. But, you know, nonetheless, when we talk about why they really decided this, um, it, it's been something that I think... Every car manufacturer, sometime, one time or another, is is beginning to consider of how they can get into the electric vehicle space. You know, when it comes to you know obviously cars, and uh, Porsche is really in, in no exception. And so, as of today, this is something that is that is on sale and is expected to start being delivered, um, you know, this summer. 
Um, so maybe this is just something, um, it was not the best, you know, color combination or so. But it, may, it makes sense then for to start to kind of developing, you know, really in, in the space. I think it's one of those areas that fits both the um, coupe design as well as a, you know, um, as, as a crossover and kind of fitting in, in between that space. And it's a little bit of an awkward space right now because we see the market um, really being much more aimed to crossovers. Um, you know, the high-performance cars, you know, hypercars really, you, you just in general, you, you find them to really be within a coupe. You don't think them to be a, a crossover. But I think for, um, you know, the, the the luxury of it, you know, Porsche is trying to aim in in in, 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 in between that. So, uh, but, you know, we got to really look at the, again, the technology aspect of it, where this is something that... Um, could really change uh, and enter how Porsche is um, drawing in uh, as a new, you know, new customers and just really adding to the the lineup overall. So this is going to be a um, all-wheel drive and standard, you know, air suspension, which Porsche has decided to call Porsche Active Suspension Management, and it'll be an extra twenty-two hundred dollar option on 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 this particular model, and it will come with a standard ninety-three point four. Uh, kilowatt battery, um, which is another $5,780 uh, option on the base Taycan uh, sedan. So, uh, you know, all, all said and done, once we start taking a look at this, even though they're, they're going to have four variants of it, um, it it's going to begin to equate, uh, depending on the highest trim, $188,000. So, from from the models that are and the variants that are going to be available, you have the Taycan 4 Cross Turismo, the Taycan 4S Cross Turismo, the Taycan Turbo Cross Turismo, and the Taycan Turbo S Cross Turismo as well. So again, that's going to be a hundred eighty-eight thousand pricing, you know, mark, and uh, really uh, it starts at ninety-two thousand two hundred fifty dollars. So whether, you know, how well it's going to perform, I think is going to compare against, you know, uh, you know, Tesla, Volkswagen, eventually, um, you have the Mustang, you know, Mark E as well. And this will get you a 250 mile range on a 99, you know, percent charge, which is, which is pretty, pretty good. I mean, even after you can do like a 200 mile trip, you can still be left with, you know, approximately 68, you know, miles in, in, in range. And that's on the Taycan Cross Tur Turismo 4. Uh, so this car is going to be able to output 375 horsepower with, it's going to also have uh, 469 with launch control. So pretty cool. The torque wise, by the way, is 386 pounds feet of torque. So you shouldn't ha have any issues handling anybody on the road that's like sluggish. I mean, you're going to be able to accelerate pretty darn quick with coupling that that really uh, well-balanced horsepower to torque ratio. So, uh, you know, overall, they, they adapt you know, relatively, you know, you know, quickly to the, I would say, to the electric vehicle market. You know, even though that this was a, uh, I, I think, an interesting in-between, you know, a vehicle, uh, you know, as we see these cars, you know, developed even further, you know, you start to ask yourself, are we going to have a place, you know, for uh, these, you know, gas guzzlers, you know, guzzlers, you know, for the most part. I think for the time being, they're still holding on. Are they going to have that longevity? 
I, I don't know. We already see, you know, many countries pushing towards just pure electric vehicles by a certain time, you know, by like 2025 or 2030. And so, you know, these gas cars or, or you know, gas, diesel, they're really going to be almost ancient in, in, in comparison or I think sought after and, and it's going to shoot up in value in itself. Is it great for the planet? Absolutely. I want to save a turtle as much as the next person. But at the very least, I still like, you know, keeping, you know, if I, if I, if I had a, you know, like a, like a 69, you know, uh, Mustang, which blows through like three, you know, gallons of gas, you know, after, you know, five minutes or so. So, uh, you know, I, I think electric cars are definitely going to be, you know, the way of the future. I think they definitely have a place. Um, in everyone's driveway at one point or another. I think the affordability behind them is, 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 is going to be another thing and how they get adopted. So again, that's something that we're going to have to really take into, you know, in, into account as, as we develop, uh, this technological world. But that is all I have in today's update. I think this has been a great first episode. Um, I really appreciate everybody listening, and I'd be happy to continue making these. So stay tuned for more. Stay tuned for more tech updates, more geek gadgets, and what's going on in the news in terms of world politics. Um, And I will definitely see you in the next chapter and episode. So thanks so much for listening.